All right. Um, so we are in a little, this is the season of Advent. That's when we practice anticipating. Um, that's when we practice anticipating Christ's coming by remembering his first coming. He came as a baby. So Advent is all about practicing waiting, which uh, can feel a little strange. But that's what it's about. So we've, we've been looking at, in this little Advent series, we've been looking at classic text, Luke 1, Luke chapter 1 into chapter 2, just going a little one piece at a time. So the first week we looked at uh, when the angel Gabriel came and visited the priest Zechariah in the temple and uh, scared Zechariah almost to death. And, and surprised him and told Zechariah that him and his wife, Elizabeth, even in their old age, were going to conceive and have a son. It's a lot like the story of Abraham that we, that we did last year. And that son would grow up and be known as John the Baptist. He'd be the great prophet that prepared the way of the Lord and announced Jesus' coming. And one of the, the main thing that we learned in that story is that God's plan of salvation for individuals which has a name, it's a he, it's Jesus. God's plan of salvation for individuals is the same plan of salvation that God has for his people and the same plan of salvation that God has for the whole world. We learn that God's plan to save the world, to save his people Israel or the church and to save sinners is all the same plan. We can't separate them into a spiritual plan, a political plan, um, you know, uh, a religious plan. There's, there's one plan. That's what we learned the first week. And the second week, we read the story and looked at the story of the angel Gabriel then coming to visit Mary. And Mary's very different than Zechariah. She was afraid at first, too. Angel said, don't be afraid. Uh, but Mary's not an old priest in the temple. She's a young woman. Uh, she was engaged to be married in her culture, women got married very young. She's probably uh, in her early teenage years. Um, and the angel comes and announces that she's going to be miraculously pregnant. And she's going to give birth to a son. And the son she gives birth to is going to be named Jesus. And he's going to be the new David, the new king that comes and fulfills all of God's promises to his people. And he's going to be the one that brings about this global, national, and personal salvation. And Mary believes. So that's what we've, oh, and the thing that we took away from that, the thing that we learned is that God's, this global, uh, corporate, and personal salvation, who's Jesus, the way that God is bringing that into the world was he bringing it into this miracle in Mary. She, she carried, she would carry the Christ in her body. And in a similar way, each of us, and even our church, we carry Christ spiritually in our bodies here in this family. So just as the, uh, the baby Jesus inside of Mary was the hope for the world, uh, the Apostle Paul later says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. So that's as far as we've come. Now we're going to look at the next Bible story in Luke, 
And we're going to draw some things out of that. So if you have your Bible, we are in Luke 139, or if you have your worship guide, it is page nine. And would you stand for the reading of God's word? At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, ex exclaimed, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this story. Thank you for what you have to say to us in it. Lord, I pray that during this time, you would give us what Jesus called eyes to see and ears to hear. May the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts be pleasing before you, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Okay, so this is a pretty cool story. Uh, Mary, you know, the angel came and talked to Mary and gave her like the greatest news ever. And then it says immediately she goes uh, down to the hill country of Judea and she visits her relative Elizabeth. So, so far we've had the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the story of Mary. And now these stories are coming together into, into one story. So what we're looking for in this passage, and what I see in this passage uh, that, that I want to draw out today, is that this passage shows us what it is that we're supposed to do with the information that we've learned so far in Luke's Advent story. Week one, we learned about the nature of God's salvation plan. It's personal, it's corporate, it's global. Week two, we learned more about the nature of God's salvation plan. It takes place 
and by way of a miracle that God is working in his people. And Jesus is the focus of both of those things. We've gotten a lot of information, a lot of theology so far. But what are we supposed to do with these truths? Are we just supposed to pack these things away and become more knowledgeable? Uh, well, yes, we should become more knowledgeable. But no, we shouldn't just pack them away and forget about them. These are useful truths. God has things for us to practice, uh, things for us to live out based on the truths that we've learned here. And in this passage, Mary shows us, Mary and Elizabeth both, shows us by way of their example, what to do with the knowledge that God miraculously is saving the world in Christ, is saving the church in Christ, and is even saving you in Christ. So, what do we do with this knowledge? Well, what did Mary do? What did Mary do with the knowledge that she had from the angel? Well, we see in verse 39 that you know, the angel Gabriel had left. She had learned all about what God was about to do in her, bringing Jesus into the world. And then it says at that time, right there in that moment, she got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And as soon as Gabriel left, she starts getting ready packs her things, and she goes all the way from Nazareth where she lives in the north to go visit her relative, maybe it was her cousin, maybe it was a relative, Elizabeth, all the way in the south. It would have taken a few days journey. Now remember, she's a young woman, so we don't know if she traveled by herself or took somebody with her. We know that the journey could be dangerous at times, but none of that mattered. She needed to go. She needed to go and be with the only other person in the world that could share in the new knowledge and the new experience of God's salvation that she now had. Her experience of God needed to be shared with somebody else do you see it? She gets up and she goes. One thing that we learned from Mary is that with the knowledge of God's beautiful, wondrous salvation in Christ, one of the things that we are supposed to do with that knowledge is that we are supposed to come together, get together with other people who have the same knowledge. Christian believers are supposed to gather. What we see in this story, in a way, and we'll see it as we, as we get through the verses here in the next few minutes, is a picture of the church and what it means for us to do what we're trying to do here, right now, here this Sunday. Mary gets up and seeks out the company of somebody else who knows God in the way that she now knows God, through the lens of the beautiful salvation that he is working in her, in Christ, for the world. 
So the first thing she does is she gets up and she goes to be with Elizabeth. Now notice when she gets there, what happens? She enters, it says it's Zachariah's home. Remember, Zachariah is her husband. Now, we don't know if he was there or not. I tend to think that he was uh, because, um, remember, Luke is basing his account off of eyewitness account, his story off of eyewitness account, which means that there was probably somebody there who saw all this go down. And, uh, and remember, Zachariah can't work right now. He's on disability because he can't talk because the angel struck him where he can't talk. So he, I, I would imagine he's sitting there uh, in his chair and here comes Mary at the door. And then Elizabeth gets up, she goes in and then what happens? It says, Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting. It says the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps. Later it says that the, the baby leaps with joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says in a loud voice, a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaims to Mary, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child that you bear. And why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, she's saying the, the mother of Jesus, should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting, Mary, as soon as Mary, as soon as you came around the corner, said, hello, it's me, it's Mary. Reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. She says, blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. What happens when Mary gets there to Zachariah's house? Well, one thing that happens is that uh, everybody there gets filled with God says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Back in the Old Testament, when before a prophet would prophesy the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, that's, that's God, would come and fill that person. And it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she proclaimed, she, she, she's prophesying, blessing over Mary. She's filled with God. John the Baptist, the little baby in her womb, leaps for joy. Remember what Gabriel said to Zechariah about John the Baptist? He said that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. That even before he was born, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here we see little fetus John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesying by kicking inside Elizabeth's belly. The mother of the Lord has walked into the house. So Elizabeth is filled with God. John the Baptist, little baby in her womb is filled with God. Mary's filled with God. She has a little baby in her womb who is God. Everybody there is filled with God. This is a God-filled gathering. And then they start rejoicing. Joy just starts overflowing in the room. Elizabeth, blessing Mary. I love that it says that she exclaimed in a loud voice. That's really cool. You know, in a lot of cultures, sometimes in our culture, 
Um, and from what I understand of ancient Near East Hebrew culture, it, was, um, it wasn't necessarily encouraged for women to get loud. Sometimes that's true in our culture. It's frowned upon when women get loud. And here, Elizabeth, filled with the spirit of God, gets loud. I love that. That sets a tone. It says that what's going on here, not only is it joyous, but it's, well, we'll see in just a moment. Rejoicing breaks out. Mary, Elizabeth is celebrating. Mary is celebrating. Mary breaks out in the song that we've come to know as the Magnificat, because in the Latin rendering, the first word is Magnificat, which is magnify, which in English, at least in my Bible, is the, well, it's translated glorify, and it's the third word. But we've come to know this. It's a, it has become a classic Christian um, it, of course, it's scripture, but it's also become a classic Christian hymn. Uh, Bach, uh, in your weekly email, there's a link to it. Did a beautiful arrangement of this. Mary breaks out in this brilliant song. It's, it's uh, not only beautiful to our ears across time and place and culture and language, but in the Hebrew poetry, it's striking. And there's, it, she didn't just come up with it off the cuff. Um, she's actually ex expounding and expositing from scriptures. We read earlier in 1 Samuel, um, Hannah's prayer, when she miraculously um, gave birth to the prophet Samuel. She prayed this prayer. Well, Mary's Magnificat is, is based off of that prayer, which means Mary knew that scripture and she's using it to compose this hymn. Also, there's pieces of it uh, based off of Psalm 103. Mary knew her Bible. And when she opened her mouth to rejoice, she's not just saying things, she's proclaiming the scriptures. But she's not quoting them word for word. She's, uh, they have soaked into her, and she is, well, something similar to what I'm trying to do now. She's proclaiming the truths in them, expounding on them. I read one commentary uh, from uh, Dr. Kent Hughes, who's a guy that I look at his work to help me study sometimes, in case you're interested in that kind of thing. He counted over 20 different scripture references and allusions in this passage. This is very, very sophisticated, top tier scripture proclamation, exposition, composition of poetry from Mary. This is not just rejoicing that's going on in the group. This is, um, This is not just like off the cuff celebration. This is, uh, there's a level, there's, there's a gravity to this celebration. In a way, and I hesitate to use this word because sometimes we take this the wrong way, but in a way it's dignified. Do, do you know what I mean by that? 
It's maybe dignified is the wrong word. It's mature. It's heavy. It's real. So what do we do? Will we come together following Mary's example, what she did? She got together with this other believer who shared this experience that God's doing in her. Everyone there is filled with God. And then there's rejoicing and scripture proclaiming and reveling and ruminating on these truths. What we see here looks very much like uh, what Luke would write about in his next book, uh, The Early Church in the second chapter of Acts, where the Christian believers, uh, oh, well, well, where um, Peter quotes from the prophet Joel and says that um, now that Christ has ascended in the last days, God pours out his spirit on all people. Sons and daughters prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. Even on servants, both men and women, God pours out his spirit and they prophesy. And it says later than that early church that everyone was filled with awe the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and the, and the believers got together and they had everything in common. It says that they, they met in each other's homes. It says that they were praising God and enjoying favor of all, of, one, of all the people. When Luke wrote, I wonder if Luke, we've already seen, he's, a, he's an incredible writer very intentional. And I wonder when he wrote this story in Luke chapter one, and then he wrote the story in Acts two, he's looking at these events of Mary and Elizabeth together there and the early church together there. And he, he sees these parallels. Charlie, why are you going on about this? Because the question is, what do we do with the knowledge of salvation that God has given us? We, as believers, should follow this example. And it's what we do here as a church. And everything that we do as a church should be aimed and pointed at this. Coming together as God-filled people to rejoice and to revel in the new reality that God has brought to the world in Christ. Do you see it? Okay, so that's the first thing, is getting together and rejoicing. The second thing is, that second part, is reveling in the new reality that God has brought to the world in Christ. Let me tell you a little bit about that. Um, Mary's song, the second half of this passage, uh, the content of Mary's song. Uh, we've talked about its form, how beautiful it is, uh, what she's doing, where the information comes from. But let's talk about the content. Um, so remember, just to, real quick, we've talked about this a lot, but remember this is Roman Judea. So Caesar is on the throne. He claimed, Caesar Augustus, who held the title son of God. Talked about that last week, right? The, it was his 
claim in the popular notion that the whole world was at peace under something called Pax Romana, and that a new era of flourishing had been ushered in. Now, people living there, it's kind of a little bit like Star Wars. Star Wars, I think, stole this from this. Uh, people, people living there knew that this empire was not an empire of peace. Uh, the, the, the peace of Rome with Pax Romana, Caesar, son of God, uh, all that stuff, it was uh, the peace and the flourishing was, there, there was no, well, it, it was based on violence. It was based on power. The, the, the three Ps, uh, power, prestige, and privilege, that's, that's how you got to experience the peace. If you didn't have those, you were out. It was peace by the sword. It was brutal. So that's the outside context. Now, then Mary sings this. Now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. His mercy extends to those who fear him generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. Okay, this sounds religious. This is nice so far. Okay, no problem. Mary is doing a religious thing. Lots of religious people in Rome. That's fine. And then she says this. He scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Hmm, Mary, sounds a little judgmental. Why don't you get back to just being religious? And then she goes on. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Ooh, I'm supposed to talk like that in Rome. He's lifted up the humble. What? He's filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away empty. Well, that's offensive. He's helped his servant Israel. Whoa, why just Israel? Well, what about all of Rome? And he's remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. One commentator said about this song, he said, this song is all about God and it's all about revolution. Remember that God's plan of salvation is not just personal. It's corporate. It's not just corporate. It's global. It's universal. Mary's song here is not just about a private spiritual reality. It's about a corporate reality. It's even about a political reality. It's about God reordering society. It's about the very social structures under which she lived. She's saying that God, as he's come into the world in her womb, has started something. Notice that she doesn't say he will. She says he has. He has. And then the humble are exalted. The proud are brought down. Rulers and princes and thrones are dethroned and they're brought down. And the lowly are raised up. The rich people, the powerful people, they go away empty-handed. 
The poor people are raised up. Do these things sound familiar? They should if you've read anything that Jesus has said. Just open your Bible to where Jesus is speaking, read a whole page, and you usually will come across something like this. She is talking about a reordering. Last will be first. First will be last. If anyone wants to be great among you, he needs to become the least a servant of all. Mary is saying that God come into the world. He, he has already done it. He, the revolution has begun and it has already ended, is what she's saying. Now that's a little weird because we're looking at this and she's celebrating uh, this theology that she has adopted from the angel. It's, it's not just something that she believes up here or right here. It's, it's where her actual real life physical hope is. What she's saying is that God has turned reality upside down. The peace of Rome has been toppled. And now the peace of Christ is ushered in. Pax Romana, out. Pax Christi, in. Do you see it? And she's saying it's already happened. She's saying the spiritual reality where down is up and up is down is now the new ultimate reality. And the visible physical reality that we see where up is up and down is down, now it's just an illusion. She's saying that God has reordered the world. Structures of power are reversed. Structures of wealth are reversed. Structures of privilege are reversed. And it's already taken place. Out here we have empire. And she's saying right here in this house, in this gathering of God-filled people, empire doesn't apply. This is a kingdom. This is a new world. This is a new politic. This is a new reality. Some people have called it an upside down kingdom. The values that drive economy and society and power out there don't drive in here. It doesn't work. And we look at this and I, I wouldn't call it an upside down kingdom. I'd call it the right side up kingdom because everything else is upside down. Do you see it? So, what she's saying, she erupts in joyous worship, rejoicing in God, her Savior, because he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's saying is that a new world has replaced the old world. And a new people has replaced and old people, and a new God-filled life has replaced an old way of doing things. Now, all of these things that are true here are true because Jesus is in the room, because God has invaded, because the little baby in her womb is God himself, because God of all power 
God of all wealth, God of all privilege, God over all, God Almighty, the Mighty One, has become so small. In a way, this is the smallest we ever find Jesus, second to his death in Luke's gospel. And here we see that when he's in the room this small, the mighty God turns everything upside down. And what is so small becomes the biggest thing of all. So what do we do with all this knowledge? Well, we follow Mary's example. We come together. We gather together. This is why we gather as a church. And when we come together, we are filled with God. Because of Jesus and what he's done, Every single person here who believes is filled with the Holy Spirit like the Old Testament prophets used to be. But now it's not just the Old Testament prophets, it's anyone who believes. Old and young, male and female, anybody who believes filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not insignificant that in this gathering, Mary, a young woman, a young peasant girl, is the one who opens her mouth, prophesies from the scriptures for the edification of the people of God, while Zechariah, the priest, the one who went to seminary, the one who was supposed to do these things, sits quietly with his mouth closed by God. Is turning the world right side up. So here in our church, we follow the example here. Folks, as we go about church, our values, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we do our ministry, who gets to talk? Who gets to be on decision-making, have decision-making power? Who gets access to inner circles? All of these things bear witness to whether or not we subscribe to empire values or kingdom values. So as a church in Advent, God has given us a beautiful reminder that there is a reality deeper and more real and the structures of society that we grew up with out there. And that reality is upside down from that. But it's right side up in the ultimate ground of being. And it's a place where Jesus, God incarnate as a little baby in Mary's womb, is king. So here today, this Sunday, this Advent, I want to invite you to consider whether or not this kingdom, this right side up kingdom life, this filled with God, joyous, beautiful celebration is for you because you're invited to it. I really hope Zachariah was in that meeting. I think he was. We don't know. Because if he was, it, to me, it's just such a beautiful picture. Because if I was there, that's where I would be. Sitting down on a chair, watching all this happen. Rejoicing in the beauty of what God has done.
Folks, the old order of things is passing away. God has become a human being. He has defeated sin and death. He has ascended to the throne. And he has made all things new. We are invited. Let's pray.